Well, if you wouldn't mind standing once more for that. And uh, give me an opportunity as you flip to Ephesians 4 to just say something. I try not to say every week, but I feel it every week. And that's why I really like it if you can bring a physical Bible. And, and one of the reasons I like it, there are many reasons I like it, but let's just say a newcomer comes into our church and they see a lot of people carrying physical Bibles. It immediately communicates where the authority is. Um, these people know that God has spoken. Uh, that he's spoken through his word and the center of gravity of this church, that the control mechanism is not a person. It, it, will, it is God, his person. And so when people see us, they say, oh, that's, that's very important to these folks. The word of God is important. Also, you say, it gives us a great sense of canon, that God has spoken to his people. It's a, it's a closed book, that the Bible is one story. It's not many stories. It's one story. It's the story of the world. And furthermore, you say, you go to Panera or wherever you go and say, yeah, we all read our phones. I know you're reading your Bible on your phones, but if you have something like this, you know, what about that chap who was raised in the church, that he's lost his way, that he's broken, his marriage is falling apart, he's got no idea what to do with his kids, and deep down there's something there, and he sees one of us over there at one of those booths reading this book. They say, oh, that book's not irrelevant. That's the word of God. I think I've got mine still around. So that's why it's not trying to be legalistic, but to say we here take the word of God seriously, and the reason we stand, and again, good thing to remind us of on this date, is that actually what we're doing now is that we're all sitting under the word of God, including me. That it's not the pastor says, hey, I've got a few ideas for all of you to help you be more successful at work. Say, that'd be an incredibly arrogant thing, right? A lot of people think that's what preaching is, but rather what we're doing now is the people of God have opened the word of God. We're gonna read what God says. We're all gonna sit under it and we're gonna encourage one another to say, how do we do this? How do we encourage each other to obey it? How do we become the church family that God wants us to be? So that's what we're doing here in this time, and in that sense, that preaching's not a monologue, actually it's a dialogue, that we're all working this out together, say, oh, I've not thought about it that way. Oh, that is what it means. How am I gonna do that better in 2023? Okay, so you've all found your place now, right? Now you're standing a long time, you see? See how I did that? So Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you, you may be seated. Thank you for honoring God's word. You know, it's one week after the sermon that a, a little boy comes up to the pastor. He says, you know, pastor, when I grow up and get a real job, I'm gonna give you money. The pastor looks a bit puzzled. He says, well, that's very kind, but why would you do something like that? To which the boy says, well, my dad keeps saying you're the poorest preacher he's ever had. <laughs> That little joke uh, prompts us to think about what we mean by church. 
I know the way that we use it. Say you're walking around a town square and you say, oh, there's the church. What you mean is the building with the steeple on it. Or you might, insofar as they say, oh, yeah, church, I think that's something we do around Christmas, or a lot of people process it as that's, uh, you know, for religious folk, or that's what we do, and uh, Christmas and Easter. But I'd like to challenge our thinking once again to say, what really, what is our understanding of the church? That the church is, the, is God's people assembled doing God's mission. That by virtue of being a Christ follower, say, okay, he's plotted you down, some here I would think, on the west side of Cleveland or in greater Cleveland, that he's called you to himself, he's opened your eyes to say, okay, Jesus is my Savior, he's my Lord, that he's brought you then into a church family, and you say, well, what about that then? That the church family, far from being just this a place you come hear a talk or what you do, you know, say, hey, should we go today or should we not go today? What I'd like us to see is that the church is the people of God on God's mission, that the people of God actually have a great action to do. That being a Christian, some people say, well, that's, you know, is it a, a stale mental commitment to say, oh, yeah, I guess I believe that. But, but not just that, as important as it is, but to say, I've been called into the people of God, and I'm going to actively engage in this great adventure called gospel ministry. So, again, the church is the people of God doing God's mission. Which raises another question, doesn't it, to say, well, what is God's mission? I mean, if you just had to say, well, what are we, what are we doing here? I mean, what, what should we be about? Well, Jesus tells us at the end of Matthew's gospel in a place called the Great Commission, and what he says to his followers is, as you go out in the world, like as you do what you do but between Monday and Sunday, really, as you do that, make disciples. Uh, make other followers of Jesus, so the church, the people of God, that God's designed us to be in this area, on this plot of land, in this time in history, so that we could reproduce. I like the way uh, Dawson Trotman, right, famously said, we're born to reproduce. To say, how would Providence Church replicate faith in Jesus? So, some big questions here, uh, one that I ask many times a day, and I think the central question we all must answer or be open to God's leading is this. How can Providence Church bring the most glory to God in 2024? Again, would you even put it in those terms? If you have the view, well, church is the place I, I randomly attend, which I know many of you don't, but some people do, to say, well, that question doesn't even make sense. Well, for the people of God doing the mission of God, what we want to say is, what decisions do we need to make? What changes do we need to make? What, what, what kind of ways do we need to be more obedient to God's calling to maximize all that he's entrusted to us? And just as a way in the few moments that I have today using Ephesians 4 uh, to talk about three buckets, and again, why Ephesians 4? I think this is the best place if somebody says, well, what is it that you're really doing? What does a healthy church look like? This would be a great place to go where the church family is being built up in love, being built up to do more works of ministry, and God's using each one of us to that end. So here are the three buckets and see what you think that Providence, I think, ought to make every effort to do these things in the days, weeks, months ahead. Firstly, that Providence must be about forming the family. That is forming the family into the likeness of Christ, forming the families so that we might obey and use, uh, again, stewarding all that God's entrusted to us to him. So here's the problem as I see it is that a lot of people think that the culture is somehow neutral. Uh, so you'll have something like this. Well, we're not the religious type. 
We could never go to a place like Providence, you know, because those religious people, I mean, they're really out there. I mean, they got all kinds of crazy ideas. I prefer, I prefer to be objective, and I'm just going to kind of let everything be neutral and going to just kind of let my family float through time in the culture. You say, we would be very naive to say the culture's not telling a story. You could say we use the word catechism, and our catechism is helping us think rightly about God, but the culture certainly tells a story, doesn't it? So you look around and see all the young people who are really struggling. I, I'm thinking, well, I would, be, I would be struggling terribly if the story that I was being told is something like this. Guess what? You're a product of random chance. There's no such thing as human nature. Even your very body is an illusion. And you better figure out a way to make a name for yourself or else, you know, you're going to just, you know, who knows? You, you better go out and, 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 and uh, create some influence. If that was the story that I believed, I'd be an absolute mess. There is no hope. There is no essentialism. Enter in the Christian story. There is a God who made everything, that he's created human beings with a purpose, that he knows everything about every person, the hairs on your head, that your body is a gift from God, that he's called you to do works of ministry. You have a real purpose, and there's this thing called the church family where hopefully love and hope abound. You see, it's a completely different story. And the children in our culture are being told one story. Who's telling the other story? I think a place like Providence can be absolutely committed to a robust children's ministry where there's a high number of energetic teachers. You think every week here on a Sunday there are hundreds and hundreds of kids under the age of 10. God's brought us hundreds and hundreds of children. How are we stewarding that? In, as a, in return, we need hundreds and hundreds of volunteers, people to help form these young minds to be Christ followers, to tell the Christian story. This is why we have Awana on Tuesday nights. You know, Awana, approved workmen are not ashamed. It's about young people knowing God's word. You know, I don't say this, I should say this more often, but think about this, okay? From September 2022, through August of this year, 2023, there were 24 babies born into our congregation. Yeah? This year, right now, I've not calculated, we're, I think, on pace to exceed that. As of December 1st, two, two moms had babies, but if I understand correctly, and I've got everybody, there are currently another 15 expected moms. Now, I'm thinking, that's 30, 39 folks. That's a church plant. Should we send them out? What do you think? <laughs> Now, you can look at that and say, happy coincidence, Shaw's problem. Or we can say, wow, God's entrusting us with a lot of young minds. Who's telling the right stories? I hope we tell the right story. How about marriage? You know, so much of your well-being in the world comes down to how your marriage is. That marriage is a hard thing. I would argue, actually, it's an impossible thing. Two one-time strangers coming together say, oh, yeah, no matter what, I'm going to love you forever. It's an impossible promise. But by God's help, actually, marriages can be healthy, that marriages can thrive, that it's one of the great lies to say, I'm stuck in this lousy marriage and there's no hope, but rather to say, oh, with God, there's a way forward to a healthy marriage. And in terms of forming the family, I don't know if you, you read a review or even the book itself, but I think Melissa Kearney, a very brave book called this, The Two-Parent Privilege, How Americans Stopped Getting Married and Started Falling Behind. 
and Kearney talks about something that is the most obvious thing that no one wants to talk about, and it's this, all this talk of privilege and whatever it is and system fail. said the one thing that's very obvious is this, is that if you can have a mom and a dad who love each other, who create a stable home, and they raise the children that they welcome into the, into the world, that that is by far and away the best option economically, spiritually, you name it. Who's telling that story? Oh, your marriage is hard? You better get out. Oh, infidelity? No problem there. I know it feels good. Say, what a story verse. Wait a second here. God's designed marriage. There's a possibility to have a healthy marriage. We all can depend on one another. I know that Mallory and I would be the first to say we've gotten much help in our marriage from other married couples in this congregation who've ministered to us, who said, you know, it's tough. You're in that stage. Hang in there. Have you thought about this? The point being, we at Providence ought to be absolutely committed to forming the family in so far as pushing them to honor the Lord Jesus for strong churches, for a strong society, and, and for, for God's witness. Okay, so forming families. Secondly, equip the saints. So take again a look at verses 11 and 12. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. In other words, people with a special speaking office. So people that we call to the ministry. You could say pastor, elders. So God gives people with speaking offices to a church family to equip them to do the ministry. Do you see that? So my job when I get called isn't so much to say, well, you know, Shaw, did you use enough rhetorical devices when you were preaching? You know, did you use enough eloquence? So that's not the question. The real question is, how did we, as those called to full-time ministry, uh, get the vision across so far as to actually, I want all of you to feel absolutely equipped to minister yourselves? to go out into your workplaces and to, to represent Christ uh, both uh, in your words and, and in your deeds. And for all of us then, that our faith is not a mere right mental ascent, as important as that is, say, oh yes, I believe that, but this grand movement to maturity in faith. The great bulk of what was read here in Ephesians 4, you notice how there's movement in it. It's about the church being built up, the church being strengthened, about the health of the church individually. Again, we call this sanctification. So a question for us on this last Sunday of the year is to say, am I really in any way more like Jesus today than I was a year ago? Um, am I seeing things differently? Have I been more obedient to his call? Have I done anything with my faith or am I like the guy that put my light under a bushel? And so for all of us to move forward in a maturity of faith. Did you notice how in both James and Emily's testimonies, um, if you, you listen, they, they moved incrementally in their faith. Some people, they, they're at a bad spot. They become a Christian right away. It's one conversation. God breaks in. And he says, oh, I believe that. Sometimes it happens that way, but oftentimes people move through little nudges. Someone had this conversation with me, and someone had this conversation with me, and then they invited me over, and then I watched how this couple interacted, and finally I, this happened, and this happened, and I hit bottom, and I remember those things, and God made me new. The point being, how do we use one another more effectively to equip one another to do more ministry. So what about Christian worldview? Can I just give you an example? And I don't, I, I mean, I, it shouldn't be provocative, but it's become provocative. But I just want to th think about this as a cultural litmus test. In October, the terrorist organization Hamas goes into the nation of Israel. It rapes the women, 
kidnaps people of all ages and commits acts of torture. That beyond uh, solid evidence for all of that. Our leading, so-called leading institution, Harvard, the elites at that institution, faculty, staff, administration, decide, decide to stein, sign a petition in solidarity. You think, okay, this is good. Surely the elites at our top institution would be against things like rape and pillaging and, and what we saw happen. Alternatively, what we had, and there's a whole, I'm not say, talking about anything unusual, depending on what you read, but say Spectator, uh, this, the British uh, periodical December's issue was run on this, so they talk openly about this. Surely you'd think Harvard's elite people would come out against these acts of brutality. But actually what they do is they actually say, well, Hamas here is somehow the victim. Now you're reading this and you, you think, you're, my mind goes right back to, and I don't mean to ignore the, the obvious planks in my own eye, but you're, you're saying here, okay, what's good and what's evil? Are we able to put anything in the evil bucket to say, hey, this is out of bounds, this isn't good, um, you know, let's not champion this, can we all agree on this, this wasn't an ideal and good thing, and yet here we are. How do we think about this? Who's challenging the thinking in the other way? Or is, is what I've said somehow political? Or is it deeply moral? And does the response of our elite institutions worry us as it does me? How do we teach each other the right way to think, the biblical way of things? Say, the Bible certainly uses categories like evil. Hey, there's stuff out of bounds. We can't be on the side of that. We won't stand for that. How about sharing the good news of Jesus? Say, I often, this is hard for pastors. Pastors are sometimes the worst at evangelism. They say, well, I'm too busy running the church. How do I have time to do this? But rather to say, no. Uh, do I feel comfortable saying the name of Jesus to people who don't know him? How would I initiate that conversation? Might there be a class at church that I can take? And friends, in all this, thinking less in terms of New Year's resolutions, but in terms of priorities. How many very able people in this room, you're all very able, you've done continuing educations, you've done, you put in all the work, you've read, you've poured over spreadsheets, you've put in a ton of energy to being very, very good at your job, and that's a good thing. It's not an either or, but then you say, well, I've spent almost no time in my New Testament. What do you think? Your child has had the very best sports lessons and we've driven them around from Toledo to Youngstown down to Columbus. We've been gone here and there. We've poured our time, treasure, and resources into making this boy a great ball player, but he doesn't know God's story. How can we do that better? to equip one another, to think, to use our brains for the complex times and what we're in. So the church again, the people of God doing God's mission, forming the family, standing up for the story, God's story, catechizing the children, sticking up for traditional marriage, seeing how marriage is a great blessing when it's done God's way, to equip one another for the works of the ministry, to be able to communicate winsomely and accurately about the situations in which we find ourselves. Thirdly, and again, casting kind of long vision here, but what would it take for providence to replicate another church? Say, yeah, we've had a lot of physical babies, but what about, you know, some Sundays here it feels like we're a bit pregnant, right? You say, well, what can we do? 
So here's Tim Keller. The vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city and the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing church in any city. So you could put it this way. I think it's helpful to say, well, what if Providence, you know, could be a healthy church in a short time, one healthy church of 1,500 people? You say, well, that's good. It's a a strong, healthy church with a lot of people. But what if you said, well, let's say instead of one healthy church of 1,500 people, we could have two healthy churches of 750 people. Would that maximize our impact to reach another area around us where God's word is honored, where Jesus is lifted up, and that his word goes forth? And in order to do this, we'll need to be uh, more willing to link arms with other local congregations. We'll need to identify young, energetic clergy who are called and equipped, who are willing to be sent, and most of all to say to us to ask the question, would I ever be open to that? Would I ever be open to going to a different location in order that Christ might be magnified in a different area? So friends, today, again, not so much about resolutions as it is a call to pray. Again, I end where I started, and that is, God, in 2024, how do we best use all that you've given to us, our time and our talent and our treasure, how do we use that to most honor you? What decisions do we need to make? God, would you please guide us? So prayers specifically, please pray for increased gospel impact on Cleveland's west side as we would form families, equip saints, look to resource and multiply other churches. Secondly, Lord, for direction and unity on the best use of this property that God many years ago before Avon was as big as it is now gave us this strategic location. What should we do with this property given various physical constraints? What's our role here? What do we build? What do we add on? Do we build at all? Lord, please direct us. And thirdly, Lord, that you'd provide the right partners who are called, equipped, and energetic so that we might be the church on mission. Again, not coming here, but rather to go and to do the Lord's work. So friends, our priorities this year, may we form families, equip one another for the complex times, and look to maximize impact outside the walls of the church. So I'll invite Jim and the team back up as I I close in prayer. Father, we're grateful for 2023 for even the things that were painful, and now I think many would say, well, Lord, you really use those to uh, strengthen my faith that when I was in a tough place, that, Lord, you sustained me, and now I'm very stronger than ever. Lord, as we ask these intimidating questions and would be so bold to say, God, have your way, we pray for direction, that, Lord, we want to be open to however you want to use us, and that as you've blessed us with much, um, what do we do? But, Lord, we want to form families for your sake, strong, healthy, Christ-honoring families, Help us to use the considerable talent in the, in, in the room, the experience, the wisdom, the knowledge, through classes and other means that we might feel equipped to take on the complexities of our time that really are just, uh, in many ways, to say very different from, I think, your word. And lastly, Lord, as the years to come, what would it look like for us to reproduce another church? And uh, Lord, that's hard but we know that you, you can do it. So we commit this time to you. We commit to Ephesians 4. May it be a reality for us, building ourselves up into a healthy body of love by means of your spirit. Amen.